Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Esther. The Old Testament book of Esther and Esther chapter number 7. Many people have been falling in love with this wonderful book, the book of Esther, as we've been going through and just seeing how even though God's name is not mentioned within this book, we see clearly God's hand moving to rescue and to free his people. Now we hit a climax note of the book of Esther. Everything's been building up to this point here. If I could catch you up on what's already occurred in Esther chapter 1, we have the king Ahasuerus and his wife Vashti. And we see that there's a great feast going on as they're preparing to go to war with Greece. And at this time, Queen Vashti had disobeyed Uh, clear commands from her king, from her husband, and from her God. And because of that, there was consequences, and she was removed from being queen. In Esther chapter 2, we see the rise of Esther in the introduction of Mordecai. That Mordecai was a Jew who had been taken away from Jerusalem as a young man and had been brought up in Babylon and now he was serving as an advisor in an important government administration role within the Persian Empire. Meanwhile, Esther, his cousin, uh, was a young lady and the king was looking for a new queen and so they basically had a beauty pageant and after a year-long wait, she was chosen to become the queen. A little bit later, five years later, what occurred is that there was another man who was introduced, the villain of this story, by the name of Haman. Haman had risen himself up to number two position within the Persian Empire, and he thought himself (laughs) that he was everything. He was full of pride, so much that he had a law passed that any time he walked by, people were to fall down at their feet and worship him. But Mordecai, being a Jew, and understood that there was a true and living God, he refused to bow down and worship any other person other than the Lord. And so when Haman saw that this Jew refused to bow down, he did some research, found out that he was a Jew, and that there was many Jews spread throughout the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire had stretched 127 provinces. It went from Greece to Russia, from Egypt all the way to India. It was a huge empire. And there was Jews scattered all throughout the empire. And so Haman made himself a law with the king's approval. And they picked an official kill the Judae. Can you imagine such a holiday? Kill the Judae. By the way, just for history's sake, today is the anniversary of the Crystal Knock, which is the Nazi holiday, their official Kill the Jew Day, back in 1939, I think it was. This is the anniversary of it. And so it was this day in history that the Germans officially passed a law to kill all the Jews 
and to destroy their shops and to run business owners out. But the same thing was happening in the Persian Empire at this time. Official kill the Judae. And to make sure that this was carried out, they sent messengers all throughout the Persian Empire. But part of the kill the Judae was not only did you get to kill a Jew, but anything that they owned, you were allowed to seize for yourself. And so at this time, there was many people looking over the fence and looking at all the things that the Jewish people owned. And they were keeping catalog and say, all right, if I kill this Jewish person, if I kill this Jewish family, I get this stuff and I get that stuff. And so greed is now paying a part of the law. And the Jewish people are helpless because the government has passed a law and they are helpless to do anything about it. When this law became news, Mordecai began to fast and to pray. And he sent message to Esther that she needed to do something as the queen. And she goes, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he convinced her that she was there for such a time as this. That God had put her there for the purpose of being used to save the Hebrew people. To save the Jewish people. And so she asked that they would fast and that they would pray. And so she went to approach the king three days later and the king saw her, sent out the golden scepter, accepted her and said, whatever you want, I'll give you half the kingdom. I love you so much. What do you want? She goes, well, I'd be glad to tell you my prayer request. But if you don't mind, would you and Haman come to a special banquet that I prepared? And the king said, Haman, come here. And Haman came in and says, the queen got a special meal for us. Let's go. And so they had a special banquet, just the king, the queen, and Haman. Now, Haman didn't understand that there's a spiritual war going on. He thought he was on top of the world. And almost like a cartoon that he's walking, he's singing, he's whistling, he's going through and he's so happy. Everything's working out for him, that his plan is working out, that he is favored, he's second in command. And now he's had a special dinner with just the king, the queen and him. And the next day, he's going to have another banquet with the queen and the king and him, just them. Oh, how great things are going. And then he sees Mordecai, his hated enemy, and he had such bitterness and such hatred towards him that his good day was ruined just by seeing that Mordecai was alive and breathing. And so he went home and gathered his friends and gathered his wife and said, all right, I've had enough. I got to do something about it. I, I can't enjoy my good days as long as he lives. And so they came up with an idea that they, he should build some gallows, a hanging tree, basically, and to hang Mordecai. And he says, that's a good idea. Let's not just build it. Let's build it 50 cubits. Remember, a cubit is uh, from your fingertip to your elbow. Standard cubit is 18 inches a foot and a half so if you could do the calculations 50 times a foot and a half how big that would be it's a pretty big gallows about 75 feet that's a pretty tall thing he wanted everyone to see that his hated enemy was going to die and he had so much power that he snapped his fingers and said get it done and in one day 24 hours they built the gallows that high and had it already ready to go well he was going to go approach the king about getting rid of Mordecai this one last time. And as he's approaching the king, the king had trouble sleeping. 
And it just so happened the night that Haman is planning to kill Mordecai that the king can't sleep and he asks for the law to be read. And he reads in the law how Mordecai several years ago had pr protected the king by ratting out a plot against the king's life. And the king said, did we ever do anything to help Mordecai out? Did we do anything to reward him? And they said, no, nothing. He didn't get any payment, didn't get any recognition, didn't even get a pat in the back, good job, nothing. And he says, we've got to do something about this. He says, who's out in the court? They said, well, Haman just stepped in. Good, Haman, come here. Haman, what would you do to someone the king wants to honor? And Haman starts, ching, almost like the cartoon thing again, you know, where they see the dollar signs going to the eyeballs, you know, he's thinking about himself. Yeah, what can I do? And he says, what do I want? How can people recognize how great I am? And he says, you know, you take the king's crown and the king's robe and the king's horse and you get the most trusted servant and you have him to take the horse all around town saying, this is what should happen to the man that the that the king desires to honor. And the king says, you know, that's a good idea. Haman, you're my most trusted servant. Go get Mordecai. Put him on the horse and you go do that. Mordecai had just cut, or Haman just came in there to ask that Mordecai die. And now he has to go before the whole city. By the way, the whole city knew that Mort, uh, Haman hated Mordecai. And he go ahead and go take his worst enemy, the guy he just couldn't even stand to see breathe. Imagine how much bitterness he had Oh, dragging him all throughout the city saying, this is the this is what should happen to the man that the king desires to honor. Had to do that all day when he was done. He covered his face and ran home and said, honey, I've had a bad day. You'll never believe what happened. And they said, you're cooked man. you're trying to kill Mordecai and his Jews. And the king just honored him. Oh, man, you're in trouble. And just the time they say that. There's a knock on the door and the messenger said, it's time for you to go to Queen Esther's banquet. Well, he can't disobey. He can't say, I've got a headache. I can't go. He goes. And now that we've caught you up, let's see what the Bible says in the book of Esther in chapter number seven. The book of Esther in chapter number seven. And notice with me in verse number one. The book of Esther chapter seven in verse number one. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther, the queen. And the king said again to Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther, the queen, answered and said, if I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that does presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. 
Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king ariseth from the banquet of wine, and his wrath went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen on the bed where, whereupon Esther was and said, then said the king, will he force the queen also before me in his house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbana, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows and he, that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Esther in chapter number 7? Esther in chapter 7, and notice the phrase in verse number 6, the adversary and enemy. The adversary and enemy. And with the Lord's help, we're going to see the conclusion, the climax of this story as it's now revealed the adversary and the enemy. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, as we come to your house today and to hear more about this story. And we see the climax, everything is building up and we can see what occurs. Lord, help us to be mindful that this isn't just a story. This is history. This actually occurred. This is what what happened and you recorded in your word that we can see that you're a God who still watches over your people. I'm asking that we would get encouragement, that we would get a blessing from it, that we can see that there's a God in control. I'm asking that you would be with me as I retell this story, as we, that you would make it come alive, that you would get a good visual in our head, and that we could see you as God, a great God, sitting on the throne. Again, I dare not trust my own. I, I don't want to even have any confidence in my flesh, so the best I know how I surrender myself to you now. And ask and beg that you fill me with your precious spirit. Just be God tonight. And encourage your good folks today. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. We reach the climax of this story. Now notice what occurs. And the first thing I'd like to show you. Is that Esther's request revealed. Esther's request revealed. Notice if you don't mind in verse number one. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Once again, the king says, all right, Esther, I remember the whole reason for this banquet is that you got a request for me. And and I love you so much. And you just ask for even half the kingdom and it will be done. It's the answer is already yes. Now you just tell me what it is and I will be glad to give it to you. So what is this request? Verse number three. Then Esther, the queen answered and said, if I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given to me at my request and my people at my request. Now, I want you to play things to the king's eyes. He doesn't know all the backstory of what's going on. He says, Esther, 
What's your request? What is it that you desire? And she goes and says, King, I want you to give me my life. Someone's trying to kill me. Please let me live. Well, the king's like, she's my wife. Who's trying to kill you? He gets mad. He's upset. Who's threatening my wife? I love you so much. I'm willing to give you and you're asking for your life. Who dares? Notice what he does in verse number um, or number four. As we see what's going on. She continues and says, for we are. Let my life be granted to me, verse 3, and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain and to perish. But if we've been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had helped my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So she goes, not only is my life There, but someone's trying to kill my entire people. They're trying to kill my people. You know, if it was one thing, if we were being sold into slavery, she goes, I would have held my tongue. I would have just sucked it up and said, I would just submit. But they're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill my people. I've got to say something. King, please let my people live. Don't let them kill me. Please don't let them kill me. We see the request here. This was not what the king was expecting. You know, maybe a new car, maybe a new jewelry, maybe a new castle, whatever it is. He was expecting something different. But she came up and said, please don't let me die. There's a death threat on me and on my people. Please stop it. And she says that the king is partly responsible. She goes, I, I can't overturn the law. I can't do anything about it. Please do something about it. We see Esther's request revealed that she was begging for the life of her and her people. The next thing we see here is the wicked Haman revealed. The wicked Haman revealed, verse 5. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that dost presume in his heart to do so? Now the king's upset. This wasn't a soft little thing. Well, tell me who he is. He's mad. Who is this guy? Who dares say he's going to kill my wife? Who's going to kill her family? You tell me who he is. Where's he at? And I'll take care of him. He's upset. Could you imagine someone threatening your wife and saying that they're going to kill her and her family? And, you know, if you had the power to do something about it, wouldn't you do something about it? He loved Esther. He's saying, what's going on? Well, notice as Esther reveals what's going on. Verse number uh, six. And Esther said, the adversary and the enemy, you can almost see that dramatic pause, is this wicked Haman. Haman wasn't expecting this. (laughs) He showed up to this party. He's already had a bad day. And now Esther points to him and said, it's this wicked Haman. He's trying to kill me. He's trying to kill my family. He's trying to get rid of us all. Haman probably felt at that moment his blood run cold. That knot in his stomach. He knows he's in trouble. He can see it on the king's face as his face changes. As Esther points to Haman and said, this is the guy trying to kill me. He looks and sees the king's face and the king look at him. Haman's not expecting this either. This has been a bombshell on both the guys that are there. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And rightfully so. He was, he's stuck. Which brings us to the third thing I want to show you. The king's wrath kindled. 
the king's wrath kindled. Now the king's upset. Notice verse 7. And the king arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath went out to the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make a request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Now the king... He's just been told that his most faithful, his number two, his trusted advisor, his trusted administrator has sent out to kill Esther and his people. He didn't stop for um, explanation. He went outside. He says, I got to think about this. Now, the king did not call his advisors. He's trying to sort things himself. He goes, says, I got to take a walk. So he goes outside. He leaves Haman there. He leaves Esther there. He goes out to the palace garden. And he's out there saying, what's going on? He's trying to sort out about Haman. He's trying to think about things. He's trying to think about what his wife just said. He's trying to process this information. And he's upset. I mean, this is one of those times where emotions have taken over. And you can imagine so, rightfully so. He's upset. He's trying to sort through emotions and trying to figure out what's going on. And Haman knows the king enough that he says, the, Haman, the king's going to kill me. I, I've got to do something. I've got to beg for my life. I've got to beg. Now's the time to do something. Now we're going to see as God starts getting um, a sense of humor into this story. And the last thing I want to show you is Haman's empty request. Haman's empty request. Notice in verse number 8. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the, of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed wherein Esther was. Now, we're missing part of the story. So what happens? Haman starts begging Esther. And he's passionate about it. Now, we don't know what size Haman was. But have you ever had someone invade your personal space? And they keep getting in your personal space and you keep backing out. And it doesn't help that Haman is pretty passionate at his pleas. Please, Esther, I didn't know. I didn't know. Please don't. And as he's trying to explain, she's backing up. I mean, she's been left alone with this guy who's pleading for his life, who's trying to kill her and her family, right? And so she doesn't know what he's going to do. And he's begging. He's getting uh, very vehement about it. Esther, please don't. Esther, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you. Esther, I'm sorry. And, and as she, he's getting closer, she's backing up. And it happens to be that uh, one of her beds is there in the palace. Remember, this is a private banquet. It's probably a private dining room inside of a bedroom or something, however it's set up. But it just so happens that Esther is backing up and she's backing up towards the bed and she starts crawling on the bed trying to put some space. And just at the time when the king walks in the door, Haman trips and falls on the bed. So when he walks in, it looks like in his mind that Haman is trying to force himself on Queen Esther. Again, someone says, well, that's a coincidence. Yeah, but what a time to fall. And at all the times to trip and fall, right when the king gets there, and the first thing he sees is Esther on the bed, and Haman moving towards her, falling on the bed. Emotions are clear on here. It's no longer thinking. The king is upset. He goes in there and he thinks, notice what he thinks. Then said the king, will he force the queen also before me in the house? Now, he goes outside 
because he's mad at Haman. He's trying to sort through things out. And in his mind, he says, the audacity of this man, not only does he want to kill my wife, not only does he want to kill her family, but I leave for just a moment and he is going to force himself while I'm gone outside, knowing I'm here and he's going to do this while I'm here. He says, the audacity of this man, he's he's boiling over. And notice this, as the word went out of his mouth, they covered Haman's face. Haman didn't even get an explanation. He didn't get a but. He didn't say you did misunderstanding. He didn't say time out. As soon as the king came in, the guards put a bag over his head, muffled him, and he's stuck. I meant the king's upset. The guards aren't hesitating. I meant they walk in. <laughs> the king's ready to go. This is not a good thing for Haman. And notice verse number nine. And Harbanah, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai. He says, King, what do you want to do with them? You see those gallows out there? I'm sure you've been wondering why he's been building it. Haman was going to kill Mordecai. He was going to hang Mordecai on those things. King said, all right, well, that works. He says, the gallows 50 feet high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king. He says, don't forget that Mordecai had done good for you and didn't ask anything about it. You just honored Mordecai. <laughs> he says, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows as he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Now, again, this is the climax of the story. We, we come into this. Haman is on top of the world. So much on top of the world, he's, he's getting all these favors. Everything's going well. He decides to take it a step further. He's already got killed the Judean. He authorizes to kill Mordecai. He's finally said, let's, let's get it done. Let's get it over with. He's on top of the world. In just 24 hours, his whole world got dumped upside down. He realized that, first of all, the king is going to honor Mordecai. Then, in the middle of a banquet, it's revealed that his death sentence that he had sent out was going to affect Esther. And he realizes there's no getting out of this. And then, just to top it off, just as the king comes in, he trips and falls on the bed. And it doesn't look good at all. You say, this is a series of coincidences. No, this is God who's on the throne. You see, there's a spiritual war that they're trying to destroy God's people. Who God made specific promises to. And God is moving things in the background. No one's seeing it. We see God's hand moving things there. You know, wouldn't it be just... A funny thing to get the spiritual DVD of this and watch some angel push Haman just at the right time. That everything kind of lined up against Haman. You say, what a coincidence. No, what a great God. God knows what he's doing. You know, the whole thing of the book of Esther is that we're seeing things from a human history's perspective. But we're not being shown behind the curtain. Do you know that there's a God who loves us and a God who's interested in our lives, who cares for us? 
There's a whole spiritual war, uh, world out there. You know, the Bible does talk about guardian angels. Now, we understand that angels are not the cartoon version of the little baby with the diaper and the wings and the halo and all that stuff. That's not what the angels look like. But there are guardian angels whose job is to watch over the saints. According to the book of Hebrews, that's what their job is. Think about all the things that you may be ignorant of. How many accidents could you have been if it wasn't for a delay? Or wasn't for a protection. Maybe the day that you lost your keys. And say man I can't find it. Where are they at? And you're running late. Maybe perhaps could be. That if you had left on time. You could have been in an accident. And there was something preventing it. You see there's a whole world that we don't see. You know and sometimes I hear people complain. And say God doesn't care for me. God doesn't care about my life. He's just not there. But you never know all the things that God is doing in the background. You know, some of you folks here have a story why you ended up in this church. You know, it wasn't by accidents. It was a series of events that God prepared, that God organized. You see, there's something called God's unconscious preparation. There are decisions we make for ourselves. And there are decisions that God makes for us and those decisions that god makes for us aren't necessarily what we would choose for ourselves but god knows what is best and we need to allow god to work in our life you know sometimes things will happen in our life and we get bitter and we get angry and say i don't understand but god can use the worst things that ever happened to us to bring us to where we need him the worst things that ever happened to us can be the greatest things that ever happened to us because they put us in a position where God wants us. Amen. You know, God is a great God. Someone compared God to a, uh, a, master, a grand master chess player and that we're nothing like novice chess people. That we have the freedom to make whatever move we want, but God knows how to put the other pieces in order to always win. God is a good God. You think about some of the things that occurred in your life that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. But because they happen, they brought you to where you are today. It is no accident that you're in this church today. It is no accident. It's not a coincidence. God brought you here for a reason. Every single one of you have a purpose. Every one of you has a reason why God wants you here. There's a purpose for it. You know, you think of different things that happen. My son Zebedee has always been a miracle to me. When he was three days old, he developed life-threatening seizures at three days old. We just got out of the hospital and we started suspecting things. And we saw full grandma seizures in a little three-day-old baby. We would... Go to the hospital. I think the first eight months of his life. We spent five months of it in the hospital. Just watching this little guy. And it's a, it's a heartbreaking thing to watch a little baby going through seizures. And to go through it and not be able to do anything about it. It's one thing you can't touch. To watch him strapped full of uh, leads and 
pulleys and everything else as they're measuring his brain waves and the doc saying we don't know what's going on it got to the place where his seizures were so bad that we had to carry an oxygen tank we couldn't leave the house um that we had to be trained that when he had his seizures that we had to put an oxygen mask you see he would start seizing not just for 30 seconds there were times it would be full minutes where he would be in full grandma seizures. Then the worst thing would be afterwards. When he would be non-responsive to outside stimuli. Lift up his arm and he would just flop down. And he just wouldn't respond. Those were times of deep prayer. There would be times that he could have a seizure for literally five Ten full seizures and be unresponsive for two hours. Nothing like holding a child that's almost lifeless. The seizures would affect him so much that his skin would turn gray and ashen because it wouldn't get enough oxygen. So we'd have to put an oxygen mask to kind of force oxygen in his blood. The medicines they had to put in him. Uh, they got to the place in order to control the seizures. They got to the place where they told us that in order to control the, the seizures, the medicine was so powerful that it was frying bread, brain cells and that it, it's either we let the seizures mess with him or we give him the medicine. Either way, he's going to be someone who's not going to have the ability to think and process. He's, he's going to be brain damaged. What a heartbreaking thing to hear. The Lord used that time. That is one of the times where we could tell that my wife and I were the closest to the Lord. We were so close to the Lord praying, spending time with him. And yeah, we were limited. We had to take turns going to church. We had to tag in and out. And that's even harder when I'm at Bible college studying to be a preacher and I'm missing church. That's, you know, you know, that was a hard thing. I was already broken in my back. I'm disabled. I can't really work. I'm trying to work while going to school. And my son's having seizures. Talk about a trying time. But you know, God was so close all the way through it. And then the doctors can't explain it, but we were started weaning him off the medicine. And he's smart. <laughs> Man, he could do math. He could do all of this stuff. And God's got a plan for him. And I know he may not enjoy hearing all of this. But you know, that was something I would have never asked the Lord for. But God made that choice for us. And God did some things in our life that eventually brought us to here. And without that, I would not be the man of God I ought to be. My wife would not be the man of God. Things in our family would have been different. It wasn't for that. You see, sometimes the worst things that could happen to us are the greatest things that can happen to us. Because we have a God who knows what he's doing. Think about some of the things that happen in your life. That without them you would not be the person you are today. Without them. Without those choices that God made for you. We understand that there's choices we make. And there's consequences for them. But God's able to use even those consequences. To bring us to where we're supposed to be. Because we have that great of a God. You see, when we talk about there's a God sitting on the throne, that's not a cliche. There's a God who knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what he's doing in your family's life. He knows what he's doing in those people around us that we think that are so far away and that there's no hope. God 
is on the throne. You see, in the book of Esther, we see that there's a God who's moving behind the scenes. We may not hear him announce and say, I am God, I am doing this. He doesn't announce himself, but we could see his hand moving things. And he can make some of the worst things that ever happened to us to be the greatest things that ever occurred. Because he's that great of a God. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that you need to be thankful. That you need to see beyond the circumstances and see the God of the circumstances. That there is a God who's sitting on the throne. A God who has a plan. If you're here now, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, God has a plan for you and it is no accident. And God is trying to do something in your life to bring you to where you wouldn't even believe it if you were told where God wants to bring you. What some of you need to do is need to stop fighting against God. That you're resisting God and you're trying to say, I want it my way. And you're not allowing God to do his own work. What some of you need to do is say, God, I surrender. I'm going to allow you to be the old wise God. And you just tell me what's the next step. You lead me on a plain path. I'm stop fighting. I stop fighting. I'm going to allow you to be God. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. Maybe some of you got something in your past that you're bitter over and you just can't get over it. Could you not see that maybe God is able to use, maybe it's consequences from your own action. Could you not see that God still is wise enough to allow those consequences to turn you, to bring you to where you should be? That God has allowed things in your life to finally get your attention? You know, some people could learn easy by just being told. Some people need the two by four across the head. But God knows how to get our attention. It's much easier for us to surrender and say, all right, God, you're in control. I'm going to allow you to be in control. That's the whole story of Esther. Is that we may not see his name mentioned, but we clearly see his hand. Can you see God's hand in your own life? Are you thankful for it? Can you trust this God? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.